Radio Illuminae, raising vibrations to help heal nations. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sentience All That Matters, the show where we discuss everything vegan, everything relating to veganism, becoming vegan, being vegan curious, being an activist, or anything else about the genre you'd like to discuss. On this week's show, as well as our usual animal rights hero, we'll be discussing why an intersectional approach to your activism is essential and show to you just where you'll be missing out if you stick to a monochromatic approach. We've also had a request to dive into the horrific horror show that is the fur trade and we'll be highlighting all the horrendous things we do to our lovely sentient animal friends in the name of fashion and then I thought just for a change we could end the show with a vegan world progress update so we'll be discussing some of the factors some of the things that have changed some of the new products available that we never thought we'd see and uh, how these things are an obvious pointer to the very destination that we all want to get to that vegan world so grab yourself a cuppa get seated comfortably open your mind and we'll get into it right after this Thank you. 
So let's get right into our first item. So why do we need an intersectional approach to our street activism and any time we are advocating for veganism? Well, as always on this show, let's start at the very beginning and the very beginning will be the point of the activism in the first place. So if we're advocating for veganism to save animals' lives, we are basically accepting that we will use any method possible that is most likely to bring the outcome that we desire. If there are multiple avenues to use that have proven to give us the desired outcome, then by only using one of those tools, we are obviously failing to see that we are not being as efficient as we can in getting the message across and convincing as many people as possible to take up a vegan way of life. Just like anything you do in life, the more effective you are, the better it is. But there is nearly always multiple routes to take to your final destination and allowing yourself to only travel down one of those paths will ultimately only lead to a longer journey to the finish line. Now, if the average person went vegan for one reason and one reason only, obviously that would massively simplify things for everybody and there is only one reason for them to go and only one reason or one way for us to outreach them. However, statistics show there is more than one reason why people turn to veganism and actually a lot of people have more than one reason why they finally decided to make the correct lifestyle choice. Let us not forget the cow, the pig and the chicken don't care why we're not eating them, they just care that we're not eating them. So on that note, let's take a look at a global vegan survey by Vomad. And uh, the percentages are quite eye-opening. So this particular survey showed that 68% of people who took the survey went vegan for animal ethics. A further 17.4% did so for health reasons and 9.7% for environmental reasons. 4.8% of people chose other in the survey and this could have been for various reasons including things like having been vegan from birth. So already just from these figures alone we can see that if we only advocated for the ethics of veganism we would be missing out on a whopping 32% of the population that we refused to talk to simply because they weren't interested in the ethical side. An intersectional approach would encompass all of these reasons for turning to veganism. A further survey conducted by Viva found that 54% of the people they surveyed went vegan for animals and environmental reasons. They also found a further 27% of people went vegan for animal ethics and their own personal health reasons. And actually, when you think about it, this kind of makes sense. Because why would vegans just care about animals? They do actually love their planet and the environment. And most vegans do respect the fact that their body is the only place that they have to live. So having a deeper care and consideration for all living things does include the very person that is having those considerations. So many more interesting facts to come in this survey. So of 12,814 global participants, 81.9% or 10,494 were female, only 16% were male. With the largest proportion of vegans being between the ages of 25 to 34, second largest demographic 18 to 24. And out of those people, do you want to know how many went vegan overnight? Well, stay put and you'll find out right after this.
back so before the break i asked you what percentage you thought of vegans transitioned to veganism overnight well you'll be surprised it's only 50 percent with 37 and a half percent gradually transitioning over a period of time six and a half percent by taking a vegan challenge such as challenge 22 veganuary etc a further five and a half percent listed as other so again as we can see there when we're outreaching if we refuse to accept anything other than instant veganism we are losing half of our target audience already so we must play to the largest group we can if we're going to get the message across another reason why intersectionality is the right way forward. So the next very interesting question in the survey is what was the first thing that made you seriously consider going vegan? So we have a whopping 21.9% for a feature length documentary such as Dominion, Seaspiracy, Cowspiracy, Game Changers, etc. We have 16.8% a conversation with a friend or family member, followed by 14.4% for a video on the internet, 13.2% for posts on social media, 
11% made the connection without any influence at all. Sadly, the figures for street outreach, turning people vegan, are less than 2.5% as it stands. And as we said earlier, if we refuse to engage with the 50% of people that won't immediately go vegan, we take that 2.5% down to 1.25% of the population. So before we move on, let's just briefly touch base on those vegan challenges and look at the numbers there. So Veganuary was the clear leader with a 44.4% of vegans using that challenge to transition, followed, followed by Challenge 22 with a 20.1%, uh, Vegan Easy 30 Day Challenge 10.8% and 24.7% of other unlisted challenges turning people vegan. So as we can see there, even with the vegan challenges, a one-size-fits-all approach isn't what we find working. The numbers are spread across various different styles of challenges, showing again that different approaches attract different types of people. So considering we had a large percentage of vegans being interested in veganism through a friend or family member, Let's break those numbers down a little bit. So the question being, how did the friend or family member get you interested in or convinced to go vegan? So 37.7% of those people were curious about their choice, so initiated a conversation. A further 33.5% say they, initi they initiated the conversation first. And 19% never talked about it even. They were leading by example, by making great food, looking healthy, having more energy and a better overall lifestyle, and this induced people to approach the lifestyle themselves. So obviously no percentage listed there for preachy vegans calling people animal abusers. Uh, I think we can probably guess how many people are turned vegan by that monochromatic approach. A viewpoint reinforced by this next surveyed question. In your opinion, what is the most effective way to influence or convince people to go vegan and why? A whopping 28.1% of the people surveyed said to show them good vegan food. Further 18.6% initiating conversations between friends and family members. 14.3% getting active on social media. 14.1% getting fit and improving your health as a vegan to show people the lifestyle does work. 13.5% promote vegan documentaries, books and videos and a further 11.4% of various other unlisted reasons. It's no surprise that great food would be one of the top ways to influence people to shift to a vegan lifestyle seeing as most people are passionate about what they eat and very passionate about cooking to exclude this kind of thing from a conversation is obviously a seriously wasted opportunity it's also a very sad state of affairs that some activists berate and hate on vegetarians the survey clearly shows that over 60% of the people participating were vegetarian and transitioned to vegan. So refusing to talk to vegetarians or calling them names only alienates further people from the movement and has negative impact on the cause, not positive. So to sum up, whilst surveys aren't everything, they are a great indicator of what's working and what isn't. And with street activism having less than a 2.5% effective rate in communicating the message to people, we need to ensure that that message is completely covering every possible aspect or reason why people would shift to a more ethical vegan lifestyle. It's hard enough 
getting people to stop and spend their time talking to you in the streets about something new and something challenging. But to throw that opportunity back in their faces because they simply won't agree with everything that's coming out of your mouth is such a sad waste of time for everybody involved and does nothing for the animals. If you are a monochromatic activist, I simply ask you to ask yourself, is your outreach simply about making sure that person has heard what you've got to say, or is it about ending the horror show? Because if it is, you need to understand that everybody is different and everybody needs a different approach. And the numbers clearly show that to be true.
Right, let's get into the main feature of this week's show and I'm going to just pre-warn anybody, this section is going to be pretty nasty, so if you do have a weak constitution, you may want to skip this section, but we don't sugarcoat things here, we are going to tell you how it is and we're going to tell you exactly what you're paying into if you still wear fur. So specifically, fur is defined as any animal skin with hair, fleece or fur fibres. Today we're not talking about leather, sheepskins or shearlings, which is lamb's skin. We are discussing fur. Just like the meat and dairy industry, the vast majority of animals in the fur industry are factory farmed in unimaginable conditions. Wild animals are also not protected from being used in the industry. The horrendous conditions of farmed fur animals is extremely hard to witness. Packed into tiny cages, often unable to move, suffering through freezing winters, driving rains and scorching summers. The quality of life is incredibly low, with animals being fed extremely poor diets, such as meat byproducts, unfit for human consumption, and their water systems often freeze up in the winter. Disease and injury, as you can imagine, are rife, including psychosis, with animals ramming their heads into the cages, self-mutilation, and even chewing on their own limbs. They get no chance to display normal behaviors. Minks, for example, are usually solitary animals who travel incredible distances, love to swim, but in farmed conditions, they are kept in tiny cages, crowded with others. This causes constant pacing and often leads to them self-mutilating. Mink kittens killed at around six months of age, depending on where they are bred. The small cages are made of wire, including the flooring, which allows the feces to fall straight through and onto the floor, meaning they don't have to bother cleaning out the cages. This causes the animals to suffer the stench of piles of mess for their whole lives. The wire floors also cause sores on their feet, which can lead to abscesses, which of course will not be treated because that would cost money. Research has shown that up to 40% of rabbits suffer from these sores called hock sores. The scale is mind-blowing. We simply don't know how many are killed, but it's estimated to be more than 100 million animals farmed each year, whilst approximately 10 million wild animals are also trapped for their fur. In addition, 1 billion rabbits and two million cats and dog skins end up on the market from the meat traders. Fur animals have no legal protection. And as the farmer is only concerned with keeping the pelts intact, the slaughter process is probably the cruelest in the world. Larger animals such as foxes are electrocuted with a rod in the mouth and in the anus. Yes, you heard that right. They stick an electrified rod in each end of the animal to fry them from the inside. Large animals are also gassed or they're put in decompression chambers, have their necks broken or are simply poisoned. Small animals will be crammed into boxes and poisoned with hot, stinking truck exhaust fumes. This doesn't always kill them, but causes convulsions and can lead to some animals being strung up and skinned whilst still alive and fully conscious. Multiple undercover investigations have also now discovered that cats and dogs are being bred in the same way in China. Animals on the investigation were found to be packed so tightly into small cages they were unable to even move being transported for days with no food or water, up to 800 animals on each truck. Many animals were dead on arrival, 
and cages with live animals were thrown up to 10 feet from the top of the truck to the ground, causing catastrophic injuries. Many of the animals had collars. They were stolen companion animals. Footage shows these animals being bludgeoned, hung, strangled, or simply bled to death. Fur can be obtained from countries like China, Argentina, and Russia, where an expose detailed a farm with 700 cages housing over 2,000 animals in just one shed. Many of these countries have no penalties at all for cruelty to animals and simply do not consider them to be sentient beings, but merely products. The globalized fur trade makes it virtually impossible to know where the animal was farmed. Skins are sold through various auction houses, so skins farmed in somewhere like China could easily be used in fashion items created in Europe, as much of the fur is obtained from outside the EU. These skins are imported and garments are finished in European countries such as Italy and France and labelled as made in Europe to make people feel better about buying the items. A whopping 50% of all fur is produced in China, whilst in Poland there are believed to be between 800 and 1000 fur farms. When we come back we'll find out how the production of fur poses a risk to the very people wearing it. wonderful story of the fur trade all right yes how does producing fur risk killing us all well on top of the cruelty 
we need to acknowledge the glaring risks of pandemics. These conditions are perfect for breeding the diseases and according to the World Health Organization, six countries, Denmark, Netherlands, Sweden, Spain, Italy and the USA have reported SARS on mink farms. Denmark identified COVID-19 in mink farms and announced they had to kill 19 million animals to stop the spread. Fantastic. But fur is natural and fake fur is bad for the environment, people say. This has been completely debunked. Real fur needs 20 times as much energy to produce and is not biodegradable due to the approximately 100 different chemicals used to preserve the pelts. Real fur production causes extensive water pollution as well as producing millions of tonnes of faeces. The UK banned fur farming in 2002 and whilst imports of fur from cats, dogs, seals and wild animals are restricted, as we have already stated, furs are sold through various, various auction houses from trader to trader and it is virtually impossible to know where each of the skins have come from, let alone what animal it was from. And that is not restricted, nor, it is banned, nor is it banned in the UK. In other words, an entirely toothless piece of legislation that is impossible to enforce and there's no funding to enforce it anyway. The production of one fur coat takes between 150 and 300 chinchillas or 50 to 60 minks and can take up to 40 foxes. Chinchilla coats can cost up to $25,000 but your pom-pom hat, fur ball or lining could also very likely be real fur. A simple online search and we found a brand new real raccoon pom-pommed hat for less than eight pounds. So what's the alternative? Well, faux fur. Faux fur can be made from polyester, acrylic or a blend of natural and artificial fibers. Quality faux fur can look so realistic it is difficult to tell the difference. And best of all, faux fur can now be made from 100% recycled materials. Companies like Ecopel are making huge leaps forward in this sector. They have developed a faux bear hat for the King's Guards and have even offered to supply these for free until 2030 if the Guards will stop using real bear pelts. But of course, the decision to change that over is down to our new king who has decided that it is not a change that he would like to see. Sitting firmly by his excuse that the bears are culled anyway to control the population, the pelts are at least being used for something. What a fantastic mindset to have. One would argue almost the same mindset as We've grown these 270 million dairy cows, we might as well use their milk and then slaughter them for their meat. Ever thought that maybe we could just not breed them in the first place? Anyway, I digress. Since 2003, the UK has imported 800 million pounds worth of animal fur. Real fur is often used for hat bobbles, hood trims, boots and slippers. Many shoppers buy fur believing it to be fake. This is why it is so important to research these items before you purchase. While a recent poll showed that 72% of people back the move to ending the UK's fur trade, you'll be unsurprised to know that despite this and the ban, there is a British Fur Trade Association who are pushing against the ban as it is bad for business, puts jobs at risk and encourages unregulated sources. Yes, you heard me right. There is a government group of lobbyists that are trying to keep the fur trade alive. So there we have it. If you didn't know where that fur trim collar on your coat comes from, 
now you do now you know the suffering that the animals go through that they are actually treated worse than animals in the meat industry in the dairy industry and with the influx of mixed pelts from around the world your gloves or your coat that you bought granny last christmas may well be cat or dog so best to avoid the faux pas of giving a family member a moggy to wear do your research and find out that it is fake fur and ensure that it is fake fur before you purchase either in the shops or online so a lot of information today and as usual we do like to cite some of the places we got the references from so that you can do your own due diligence because I might be making all of this up and telling loads and loads of lies. So our four main websites were animalethics.org and careelite.de. We visited spirithoods.com and peter.org.uk with their specific article dedicated to bearskins and the EcoPel alternative. We also researched the International Fur Trade Federation Types of Wild Fur, Rachel Bale's article, Fur Farms Still Unfashionably Cruel. We also looked at the European Commission and Scientific Committee on Animal Health and Animal Welfare, and the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization's Peace, the Rabbit Husbandry, Husbandry Health and Production. We also went on to the World Health Organization Disease Outbreak section. They also had a section with the article on Denmark culling 15 million minks over the COVID fears and the European Commission Scientific Committee on Animal Health and Animal Welfare, the welfare of animals kept for fur production where they cited the exact recorded conditions of how these animals are kept prior to their deaths so there you have it the choice is yours you can either decide to listen to what i'm telling you and make the same choice in a crazy world and only ever buy fake fur or maybe just spend a couple of hours having a little bit of a google research it yourself and uh have a little look at some of the images that come up too um the conditions are utterly disgraceful but there we go so moving on to our animal hero for this week we really wanted to try and tie this person into the fur trade seeing as it is the most disgusting thing you could possibly think of we thought we would try and find somebody who had made massive changes to move us away from that disgusting industry. It was actually harder than I thought. I found many people who powerfully lobby against fur, most of whom are vegetarian, but it was tough to find a committed vegan, <laughs> which was surprising and actually sad. This again shows that we cannot blank right off some of the world's biggest activists and movements just because they're vegetarian, they are vegan allies. These people are making more impact in the wider world through their celebrity than we could ever dream of. However, I did find one incredible vegan lady, Rebecca Capelli, who incidentally had been vegetarian for 23 years. There is no real information about her pre-vegan life online, but we do know that she was born in France. Rebecca is well-educated, holds a master's degree in media management, as well as a degree in Chinese language and culture. She speaks French, Mandarin and English, has had a very successful career, but quit to work for the animals. She is also now a qualified nutritionist. Whilst living in Hong Kong, Rebecca rescued a dog from the meat trade. It wasn't until a few years later, whilst watching Cowspiracy, that she made the connection, and after 23 years as a vegetarian, she went vegan overnight. 
he began giving talks to schools and businesses, trying to get people to think about their lifestyles. And after giving over 50 speeches, she realised she was just not having a big enough impact. So in 2018, she made a documentary, Let Us Be Heroes, inviting everyday people to share their stories. With no advertising, the film got thousands of views and won many awards. She then got involved with the makers of Cowspiracy and made her latest documentary, Slay, which investigated the horrors behind animal skins and put it into the world for free on Water Bear. So please feel free to go to the App Store and download Water Bear and then you'll be able to watch Slay. You'll be able to share the film on social media and encourage other people to watch it. So Rebecca is our animal hero for this week. And again, another classic example that we cannot write people off simply because they aren't 100% vegan for the animals at any given time. Everybody is on their own individual journey and it's what your life throws at you that helps you find the right and true direction. you but after that nightmare of a piece I need a bit of an uplift and some good news so our last piece this week will be 
just acknowledging a few vegan wins for the last year or so have a little delve into what's changed some new products that are out there some legislation changes and just make a note of a few things that you may not know have actually occurred so let's get right into it and where better to start than with food items so this year we have seen this the brand of plant-based bacon producing a this isn't streaky bacon the plant-based meat brand well known for its for its realistic vegan alternatives decided this veganuary to knock it out of the park with the most realistic streaky bacon you've ever seen that is actually plant-based moving on we have la vie that launches at burger king again a bacon conjunction with a burger manufacturer to bring award-winning plant-based bacon into a large corporate food retailer and as anyone knows when the corporates start getting on the bandwagon it's not long before everybody else has to follow suit to stay in the same marketplace this is the second huge plant-based move for burger king after opening two fully vegan restaurants burger king have also now announced they their restaurants will be 50 percent meat free by 2030 so close Olenstein Danish bakery have launched a delicious vegan version of their popular cinnamon social looks absolutely delicious in the picture I'm sure I'm going to be tasting some of that soon and Aldi now jumps on the bandwagon with their own huge plant menu of items including hot and spicy no fish burgers the uk burger chain byron have now launched another new vegan burger especially for veganuary but it is a staple of the menu and nomo have launched a caramelized biscuit chocolate bar they are delicious if you've never had those we have crosstown donuts multiple styles of donuts now plant-based and moving mountains have moved on from their burgers and have now made moving mountains vegan chicken nuggets higgity now launches its bang bang cauliflower vegan dinky rolls they look absolutely delicious and there is now a cowspiracy menu at holy carrot Heinz create a vegan tomato soup and add uh, vegan beans and sausages to their product list. Domino's add an American hot vegan pizza. Marks and Spencer's plant kitchen range expands even further and McDonald's add a double McPlant. Nando's now have a spiced chickpea recipe burger and Subway have a plant-based teriyaki steak club. Greg's again adding more products to its vegan range with a Cajun chicken free roll and the wonderful VFC adds spicy chicken tenders, chicken fillets and popcorn chicken. The list goes on and on and now basically the food discussion is no longer a viable option to not go vegan and look at that i've got so carried away with the food we've gone and run out of time again thank you to plantbasednews.org for all the information on the food items i've just listed plenty more to look at on their amazing website check them out on tiktok and facebook also so just enough time to remind you to send any questions or any articles you would like covered to us on email at sentienceatm at gmail.com and we will get those included for you. 
but on that chickpea bombshell i'll leave you with this cheery little tune until next week